All right, two two stories uh, quickly for you. Um, Is my wife here? Paige? Paige. You know, the whole... You need to leave. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, The whole month of December, I was telling you about gifts that we have received or that I've received in the past, and uh, my parents decided... Uh, this Christmas that they would go through, because they have a huge barn, probably bigger than the building that we are in, uh, our section for sure, and uh, over the years, my sister, my cousin who has lived with us since the fifth grade, now a brother, has put all their junk in it, and Paige and I put all our junk in it, and so a couple of years ago, they decided that they would kind of sort through the junk, and they found some gold. And so last year they gave my cousin slash brother a love letter, put it in a frame, a love letter from his wife, then girlfriend. And this year they just did that for Paige and me. And we were just sitting there and the video camera was on and everybody was watching and we're like, they're like, read it out loud. And she's like, I don't want to read another word. And so that was a weird moment, but a, I guess we'll just say it, we'll be positive about it. It was a bonding moment for um, our family. And the worst thing about the whole letter, it was a great poem. It was extremely long. The worst thing about the whole letter, she wrote it to me when we were broken up, wanting, you know, like saying, hey, if we never get back together, it was a great thing. But uh, it, it was uh, kind of funny. That was the uh, weirdest gift. Best gift, maybe, of, uh, of Christmas. And so I, I don't know how your Christmases went. Maybe they were good. Maybe they were not so good. But uh, I sure am grateful for the gift that we've all been given in Jesus Christ. And so uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we will uh, we'll start our series on the tough issues and hard issues of life. Heavenly Father, I bow before God, I, I, I come, and, and Lord, you, you know my, my desire this morning. Father, there is, there is nothing new under the sun. I stand just as Solomon wrote thousands of years ago, and he said there is nothing new under the sun. It's all chasing after the wind. It's all vanity of vanities. And Father, I say the same. Lord, there is nothing new that is going to be spoken from the stage this morning. But Father, I pray that your word would go forward in our hearts. Father, that you would plow right over me, right over us with the truth that is your word. Because if we... If we know it or not, every single one of us is at a crossroads. Father, we'll see that, but, but every single one of us is at a crisis of belief. And so, Lord, I pray, God, that you would meet us in that intersection. You would meet us exactly where we are at this moment. And God, as your word states, your kindness would lead us to salvation, your God, your faithfulness, your love, God, you have lavished me, you have lavished us with every spiritual blessing in Jesus Christ. 
So, Lord, I come this morning, and God, I ask that you would meet with us, and Lord, you would speak truth to this, your people. I ask it in Christ's name. Amen. If you have a Bible with you this morning, turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. That's where we will begin this morning, but... uh, The year was 1949. 1949, and there was a young evangelist. You might have heard the story, might have even heard me tell this story. But there was a young evangelist that hardly anybody knew, especially where he was. Nobody knew where he was. He was standing outside of Los Angeles, but this young evangelist was from the hills of North Carolina. His name was William Franklin Graham, otherwise known as Billy Graham. And in 1949, he was an evangelist for a new young upstart, uh, Youth for Christ. And he was there preparing for a crusade. It was what was going to be the greater Los Angeles crusade in the weeks and months ahead. But he was out there scouting and he was out there talking with uh, pastors and church and Christians uh, in the Los Angeles area. And one of his friends was there. This gentleman was also an evangelist for the same organization. Uh, His name was Chuck Templeton. And uh, Chuck Templeton was from Canada. Chuck Templeton had... uh, been with this organization for about the same length of time that Billy Graham had. And so they were there, and there was a question raised by Chuck Templeton to Billy Graham in those days. And the question was this, Billy, you you still don't believe that the Bible is true, do you? You still don't believe that that this word, this Genesis through Revelation, you still don't believe that it's God's word, do you? And if I would not have stated the gentleman's name, you probably would not have known who in the world he was. But Chuck Templeton left in 1949. And it wasn't very long, 1952, that Chuck Templeton came out and said, you know what, I'm, I'm not a Christian, I am an agnostic, I, I, I turn away from the faith, there is no God, even to, by the end of, 19, of the 1950s, he was a full-blown atheist. Um, you can Google or Wikipedia him and see the rest of his life, but that question, those days, haunted Billy Graham. He was there trying to set up and get prepared and ready for this crusade. It was going to be what did become the first of many great crusades that he led. But uh, he found himself there. And and so one of the days he went out into the uh, mountains outside of Los Angeles and he uh, had his Bible and he was just talking to himself. And he was... I don't, I don't know, I don't, I don't understand some of the things that are here. I'm hearing all these things in all these different directions. And he, he laid his Bible on a stump and he knelt down and he just prayed. And here's what he prayed. 
He said, oh Lord, I, I don't understand everything that is in this book. But I accept it by faith. That this book is the word of the living God. Soon after that prayer, he uh, took his Bible, he got up and he left those woods. And he has stated numerous times before that after that moment of him declaring it after that moment of him wrestling with it and arguing with himself and coming on the point of faith and saying, I don't understand everything that is in this book, but I accept it by faith that it is the Word of God. He said there's never been another time in his life that he's doubted that it is God's Word. After that declaration He conducted that greater Los Angeles crusade, which was supposed to go for uh, 10 days, possibly 14 days. It went for eight weeks. There were thousands who could not get in the tent. They were lining the streets trying to hear a morsel of the words by Billy Graham and the words of God. That question today is the same for you and it is for me. I'm starting a series and there's going to be about six weeks that we're going to look at some hard issues and some tough issues and they're issues that you are dealing with in your life right now. Some that you know about these issues, some that you don't know about, but you are dealing with them because it's a four-letter word called life that you're living and that I'm living And sometimes that life is tough. And sometimes you're like, I don't know how in the world I'm going to make it. We'll look at marriages. We'll look at parenting. We'll look at finances, stewardship, worship. We'll look next week at judgment. Because there is a judgment that is coming. So for the month of January... That's where we'll be on a number of different places in God's Word, a number of different issues, but they are tough issues and issues that you and I need to hit head on because every single one of us find ourselves at this point. We are at a crossroads. We're at an intersection. We're at a a crisis of belief, just like the young evangelist Billy Graham was. So my question as we start this morning is this, are you going to stand with the masses? The the whole world scoffs at the black ink or the red ink that is God's word. Are you going to stand with the masses or are you going to find yourself like Paul and like Timothy and the great cloud of witnesses that have gone before us? And stand and say, you know what, this is God's word. This morning we're going to look at three passages. We're going to look at 2 Timothy. We're going to look at 1 Peter. um, And we're going to look at Hebrews. And so if you have a copy of God's word, look in 2 Timothy chapter 3. And let's 
look at this point. The, the Word of God is a place to stand in times of trouble. The Word of God is a place to stand in times of trouble. I'm going to read the whole chapter, chapter 3, because that is where you live today. And that's where I live today, and, and we need to see this. And We're going to key in on the last few verses, but you and I need to understand this context that he's writing in, because that is the context where you and I are living And it's the same context that Timothy was living in. Things haven't changed that much. So Paul writes these words to young Timothy. He says, but understand this. That in the last days, in these days that are leading up to Christ's return, in these days that you're living in, that I'm living in, in these last days, there will come times of difficulty. Is anybody there? times of difficulty. For people, they will be lovers of self. People will be lovers of money. People will be arrogant, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable. People will be slanderous. They'll be without self-control. These people, they will be brutal. They will not be loving good. They'll be treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Listen to this next verse, verse number 5. They will have the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. That is a huge sentence. They will have the appearance of godliness, but they will be denying its power. Avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households and they capture, they, they capture weak women. They, they, they're burdened with sins and led astray by various passions. Always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth. Men corrupted in uh, mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far. (laughs) Because their folly will be plain to all, to, to everybody, as was that of those two men. You, Timothy, you, Riverbend, however, you you followed my teaching and my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings have happened to me. Those that at Antioch and at Iconium and at, at Lystra, which persecutions that I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, they will be persecuted. While evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But 
But as for you, Timothy, as for you, Riverbend, you put your individual name and self there. But as for you, continue in what you've learned and have firmly believed in, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, the scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God. All scripture is exhaled out by God. All Scripture is profitable for teaching. All Scripture is profitable for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, that the man of God may be equipped for every good work. Today we're talking about tough times, or we're talking about tough issues in life, and And Paul wrote a number of them down in these first five verses. And if if I were to read it again, and I will read it again in just a moment, every single one of them you could probably think of a family member, a friend, a neighbor, a co-worker, a person that comes up on the television screen that that's exactly them. And if we were really honest with each other and we were honest with ourselves, we could say, you know what, there has been times because when I read that passage, there were times that the person that was doing that was the one that I look at every morning in the mirror. And he said, don't hang around those people. So how do we not get to be like those kinds of people? You allow this. You believe this. You allow this to penetrate your heart and your life. And you live by it. You soak it up. You live it each and every day. You and I today, we're talking about Life, and we're talking about these tough issues, and in doing that and starting this series, I thought that you and I needed a foundation, and the foundation must be God's word, because if it's anything else, that foundation will fail. But if your life is built on God's word, Jesus says, heaven and earth will pass away before one little T that is crossed or one little I that is dotted ever shifts or fails or passes away from this word. So let me read verses 1 through 5 again and ask you a question. Understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. In the last days, there will be people who will be lovers of self, lovers of money. They'll be proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control. They'll be brutal, not loving good. They'll be treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit. They'll be lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Just as Janus and Jambres, 
opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. You and I find ourselves at a crossroads of such. The problem is some of you don't even know that you're at this intersection. Some of us in this room don't even know that we're at this intersection, a a huge intersection, a huge, just as Billy Graham was, a huge crisis of belief, and you and I must find our footing. Now, today, it must happen, or you and I will be overcome by this thing called life. I don't have to tell you that life is hard because you and I know that. There's no other way around it. Because of sin, there's a thing called death. Because of sin, there's this thing called turmoil. There's sickness, there's hurt, there's injustice, there's hatred, there's scorn, there's all kinds of things, all because of that three-letter word, S-I-N. You're going to come up against people like those that we just read about in verses 1 through 5. The Word of God is a place... It's a place where you and I can come and we can take a stand in times of trouble. I've told this story a number of times, but it keeps coming back. Many of you don't know, but in 1999, Paige, my wife, was in a head-on collision, and she was airlifted to Duke Hospital. We were living in North Carolina at the time. She was airlifted to Duke Hospital. Every night, we would be in the ICU unit, and we would be um, holding her hand. We'd be praying over her. She was in a coma, and the doctors and the nurses, they would come in at the end of the night at visiting hours, and they said, for 10 nights in a row, they'd say, she won't make it through the night. But we've done everything that we can do. Just be prepared because she won't make it through the night. And for 10 nights in a row, my family and I told those nurses and those doctors, thank you, but that if God wanted her to be here, he would keep her through the night and that our trust was in him. We were thankful for them, but our trust was in him. And she came out of a coma three weeks. She had multiple surgeries uh, then and since then, walked excuse me, rode the wheelchair out of the hospital seven weeks to the hour that she went in. You say, Brian, why do you tell that story? It is because of this. Every day I was in a waiting room and every day I saw families answering telephone calls or going into rooms and they didn't have any hope whatsoever. I didn't understand how in the world they were making it and the answer to that is they weren't. I had ample opportunity every single day and took numerous opportunities to share, 
to give them hope, and that hope is Jesus Christ. And I was like, you're in shambles. I don't understand. There is no way that you are making it. And they would just be in pieces. The only way that you and I can handle any of these things in life, times of difficulty, is through Christ. So we find ourselves at a crisis of belief. All Scripture is exhaled by God. All Scripture is breathed out by God. All Scripture is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Why? So that the man of God may be competent. That word there, it's a Greek word that is there. It's having the skills for the task at hand, having the equipment and the tools necessary for the task. This is your tool for this thing called life. Some of us here today are not thinking correctly, we're not speaking correctly, we're not acting correctly, and this Word, God's Word, is a great help to help you think correctly, to help you speak correctly, and to help you act correctly as you close out 2014 and you enter 2015. But not only is it a place to stand in times of trouble, turn over to 1 Peter chapter 3. It's a little further to the right in your copy of God's Word, past Hebrews and James, and you get to a passage of Scripture called 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 13, it states this. Now, who is there to harm you if you're zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you'll be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ as Lord, as holy, always being prepared to get this, to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and with respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ, they may be put to shame, for it's better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Not only is this word a place stand, but this word is a tool used to make a defense for Christ. You and I are to be able to give a defense for what you believe. Can you do that? Do you know what you believe? I don't know how many times I have uh, given out the, uh, the forms in basics and I've Ask the question at the end of basics. If you've gone through basics, it's, it's our membership. If you haven't gone through basics, it's our membership class. And you, you go through basics. And at the end, I ask this question. And I give everybody a sheet of paper. I said, all right, I want you to write your testimony. 
here's, here's the question. I want you to write your testimony, and then I say something cheesy like this. When I was eight years old, my favorite shirt was what color? It was red. Y'all have got to be awake during basics. And, and that, that shirt, it, it was a special shirt. And that shirt was fuzzy, and it had a 55 on it. And I got saved when I was eight. And I tell folks that it go through basics, I said, that shirt has nothing to do with salvation. I don't even think I was, I was probably old by that time, but it was my favorite shirt of all time. I said, I don't want to know that. What is your testimony? Your testimony is, what happened with you and Jesus? What do you believe? You and I say that we're Christians. You and I say that we believe that Jesus is our Savior, our Lord. We have to be able to give a defense. So, very quickly, let me give you some external defenses for God's Word. I'll give you two. The first is archaeology. Do you know in the 1920s up through the 1950s, people laughed at Christians because the Bible says, hey, there's this ite, and they had never been able to find where those ites lived whatever the ite was. But since the 1950s, there have been 25,000, 25,000 sites excavated. And every single one of them have fallen exactly where and when Scripture stated they would fall. There has never been a site, archaeologically speaking, that has opposed. If Scripture speaks about a subject or about a people or about a thing, there has never been an archaeological site that has refuted it. Archaeology is a great external defense. And a second is what is known as a bibliographical defense. For you history buffs, let me give you a couple very quickly. Caesar's Gallic Wars was written between 100 B.C. and 44 B.C. And for a bibliographical defense, there is this. You've got to know, all right, there is this copy of this book. So the Caesar's Gallic Wars is a book, and it was written in that time period. And you've got to look at it, and you've got to know, all right, if the length between when it was written and the first or the earliest copy that we have, what's the time span? Because the longer the time span, the easier it is in those days, especially, the easier it is to have mistakes in it. We have 10 copies of Caesar's Gallic Gallic Wars. It was written in either from AD, excuse me, BC 100 down to BC 44. The first earliest copy that we have is a thousand years after that, but there is not a liter- literature expert on the face of the earth that would say, you know what, that's not a true writing. Second, Tacitus, he wrote some histories. We have 20 copies. It was written in 100 AD. The first copy that we have is in AD 1100, another thousand year span And nobody would say, you know what, Tacitus didn't write those or that's not an original. So let's go to the New Testament. We don't have 10 copies. We don't have 20 copies. We have 24,600 copies of the New Testament. Written in its original language, Koine Greek. 
It was written between the years of A.D. 40 and A.D. 100. And the earliest copies that we have are in A.D. 130. 30 years since the end to the copies that we have. The bibliographical, the external tests are overwhelming in its truth. It is a tool that you and I can use to make a defense. But finally this morning, let me just read a couple of verses and make a couple of statements on this third point. The Word of God is an instrument of cleansing. In Hebrews chapter 4, the author of Hebrews writes these words in verse number 12. He says this, the Word of God is living. The Word of God is active. The Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword, and it pierces to the division of the soul and of the spirit of joints and of marrow and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of your heart. The Word of God is an instrument of cleansing. And that's what needs to happen in your life and in my life right now. We need to allow the the Word of God to, to penetrate our hearts and our lives. Adrian Rogers stated it this way. He said, the, the, the Word of God is, is a sword. And it is used to cut out the individual, personal sin that is in you or that two-edged sword is there to just cut your head off and kill you. It's definitive. This is God's Word. Where it speaks is truth because it is truth. It's truth whether you believe it as an individual, as as a family. It's truth whether we believe it as a church. And I say we do believe it as a church. I say I believe it as an individual. But you know what? It doesn't matter if you believe it or not. It is truth. It doesn't change for you. It doesn't change for me. It doesn't change for 2,000 years. It won't change for all eternity. It is God's infallible, inerrant word. And He has spoken it and He has given it to you and to me. The question for you and me is, will you allow it to enter your heart, to enter your life, and to cut out all the sin and all the junk? Or will you use it as a coffee weight? on your table or on your bookshelf. And the only time you pick it up is whenever you come in this room. You don't look at it or maybe maybe when the husband is just irate or the wife is just off her rocker or the kids are just crazy or the boss has just said, We don't need you anymore. You run to it. God says, 
why don't you run to it every single day? Why don't you come and feast at my table? The psalmist stated it this way in Psalm 34. He said, taste and see that the Lord is good. He's good. Yet for you and me, how often is it that it's the last place we run? The invitation is coming and um, for those that are being baptized, you do not have to rush because after the invitation we'll have the offering and then we'll have baptism. So you do not have to rush. But I'm going to bow my head and I'm going to pray and we're going to have a time of invitation, a time of response for you and a time for God to just allow these things to sink in. Heavenly Father, I pray. God, I pray that Lord, this truth, your truth, Father, this truth would uh, would meet us exactly where we are, that it wouldn't get past the person that's in the mirror when we look at the mirror. God, I don't know what 2015 holds. I don't know what tomorrow holds. Father, I woke up this morning. Actually, I went to bed last night reading the the screen of an airplane that has been lost and still this morning is missing the last time I looked. Father, we don't know what happens an hour from now, six days from now. Father, for every single person that is in this room, I pray that you would meet with them and you would not let them get up out of their seat. You would not let them leave this building without them understanding who you are as the God of the universe, yet the justifier of the one who loved them so much that you gave your life for them. Father, I pray that every time I stand on that platform, every time I open my mouth to this, your church, it would lead people to your cross and the price that you paid because of your love. God, would you move in me? Would you move in us in such a way that it would draw us closer to you? Yes, but Father, it would motivate us because you're the one that is doing this and we're working through you to champion your name to connect with this community and to celebrate your son Jesus Christ sir this invitation is for you it's for nobody else ma'am this invitation is for you God is desiring for you to Come back to Him. Boys and girls, it's for you. It's for no one else but you. Would you allow God, every single one of us, would we allow God to to speak? And will we even get past the emotion that, that comes in that, but that we would stand on that solid rock? Father, would you move?
God, would you draw people to yourself because you are the only one that can change a heart. I ask it in Christ's name. Amen.